Tomorrow, Martin Luther King Day. I recall in the, uh, I guess it must have been in the 60s, our nation was in great turmoil, and I was doing something in my bedroom. My mom came in, she'd heard it on the news, watching it on TV. She came in to tell me, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. has been assassinated. Now, I was just old enough to know at that time that our nation was in great turmoil. Not only was there a civil rights movement that was on, not only was it a women's lib and a sexual revolution, there was also a Vietnam War. Our nation was in turmoil. I was old enough to understand that and yet young enough to not pay much attention. So I asked her a question. Was he a good guy or a bad guy? And I can still hear the tone in her voice, the sadness in her spirit. She said he was a very good man. It's appropriate for his impact upon us as a nation. It's appropriate that there is such a thing as Martin Luther King Day tomorrow. A national holiday. It's the only national holiday we have presently that honors a specific American individual. Wasn't always that way. I can recall also as a young boy that in the school in which I attended, we got two days off after Christmas and before Easter. One was for Lincoln's birthday. And one was for Washington's birthday. Now, they have been combined into what we call President's Day. And something gets lost, I think, in that. In that, when we had Lincoln's birthday and we had Washington's birthday, we were taught something specifically about why we are honoring these presidents See, we knew back then that Washington was our first president. And what we were taught about him, that I could still remember, he's a man of great integrity. And he was to be respected for the place he had in America's history. And the only other president that I could have named for you, because they had, we honored their birthdays, was Lincoln. I knew he was our 16th president. Didn't know a lot about him. But I knew that he had a role at a time when America went through a civil war. And I knew because of his presidency that slavery was outlawed. It was because we had these days that specifically honored these great men. I'll never forget in our previous ministry sitting in the home of Alice Curtis. Alice Curtis was an elegant, dynamic poor black woman who I believe by the time the count was done took in 120 foster children and sought to love them and give them direction about God and Jesus Christ in their lives. Fascinating woman. Very, very unique woman. And she was old enough to remember her grandmother who said... 
would tell her, first God saved us, and then Mr. Lincoln saved us. It's the only direct connection that I could make in our history between somebody who felt and heard directly about what took place during that time when slavery was outlawed. Great men, all of them, and worthy to be honored in our nation's history. Now, particularly, I thought of the presidents that we used to honor with a day specifically for themselves when during this last campaign, at some campaign type of event, where both Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton were in the audience and Obama campaigning for her said that she was the most qualified person ever to run for the office. And then he specifically said, Bill, that means you and me too. Most qualified. And when I heard that, I was like, what are you saying? most qualified to ever run for the office. Now, if he had said most qualified to ever run for the office in our lifetime, I'd have said, well, maybe, because he understands what it takes to be in the office. I've never been president. (coughs) I don't know what it takes. He also worked with her as his secretary of state. Most qualified ever. Maybe in our lifetime. Because here's what I remember about our lifetimes. And I'm within the range of who they are to be able to say our lifetimes. If he said that, I'd have said, well, maybe. Because Lyndon Johnson, I remember him. Corrupt. Richard Nixon, I remember him. Watergate. Gerald Ford, I remember him. Kind of. It's like he was a parenthesis in there. And I don't, in fact, I find myself always asking, how did he get to be the president? I don't think he was ever on a ticket, was he? Anyway, he's there. Carter. I ran hostages for over 400 days in long gas lines. So if Obama had said, she's the most qualified in our lifetime, I said, maybe he's right. But when he said, ever to run for the office... I'm screaming, I don't think so. I don't think so ever. Because my upbringing would not allow me to put Hillary Clinton in the same category as George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. My way of thinking, she wasn't going to be close. Now why is that? That is because I remember a day when we honored them with their birthdays. And we were taught about the greatness of these men that they were singled out for all the list of presidents that we had, that these two bore a critical role in our nation's history. And I didn't believe that anybody who is is presently on the political scene could possibly compare with them. Now friends, I'm making a guess. As we open the word together. I'm making a guess that the Israelites had that same sense of we had some pretty 
incredible people in our history, and it would take somebody mighty special to ever surpass them. And one of those incredible people, a particular individual, we know as Moses. He led Israel out of Egypt, delivered them from slavery. He received the plans for the tabernacle, which was the center of their system of worship. It was a movable place of worship that they could take with them wherever they went. He had revealed to him directly by God this thing we call the law that would instruct them how to live as a nation. And he led them for 40 years in the wilderness up until the time leadership was passed over to Joshua who would then take them into the promised land. I would like to suggest we could argue that Moses carried the weight of George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and Martin Luther King Jr. combined. An exceptional man. Now we've got to understand that to grasp why Hebrews chapter 3 carries such significance in the things that it says. Hebrews chapter 3. Going to look this morning at the first six verses. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son Over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, firm to the end. We spent quite a bit of time in chapters 1 and 2. And in those chapters, Jesus was contrasted with the angels. And when we read in chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, we learned that he was bringing many sons to glory in the work which he did, and that he was so unified with those sons that he's not ashamed to call them brethren. We spent the entire time from Thanksgiving to Christmas discussing from what Hebrews says about Jesus Christ, the incarnation, the second person of the Trinity taking on human flesh. Paul picks up, Paul, I keep wanting to say that about the book of Hebrews. The writer to the book of Hebrews picks up these threads about him bringing sons to glory and about him being, us being brothers with him when he says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, because that's what he was just talking about, 
He picks that up, pulls it together, says, let's go the next up. Therefore, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Consider means to think carefully about. We mentioned that last week. We also covered last week simply one word from this verse, apostle. Because this is the only reference you'll find to Jesus as an apostle. So we didn't want to miss that. Consider carefully who is faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also was faithful in all his house. So now when you look at him carefully, he then sets up Moses as the comparison. Moses was faithful. Moses was known for that. He says Jesus is like that also. When you lay them side by side, you can identify both of them as faithful. Both gave heed in obedience to the things which God had called them to do. And both deserve honor and recognition for their faithfulness. And he lays that forth in chapter 3, verse 2. But then in verses 3 to 6, he begins to lay out a contrast between them also. They're similar in their faithfulness, but there are some contrasts that also need to be seen. For those who want to fill in notes, because last week as I was thinking about it afterwards, I don't think I got the notes filled in for you. I want to put it right up front. Moses was faithful in God's house. Jesus is faithful over God's house. Now we can all relax and go, okay, I got my nose filled in. Moses was faithful in God's house. Exodus chapter 25. Amazing point in the history of the people of God. Exodus chapter 25. God calls Moses and he said, gather all of this stuff and then have them build a tabernacle, a place of worship that I may dwell among them. And he says, I'm going to give you a very exacting plans and follow them precisely. That tabernacle, which was a movable place of worship, sometimes referred to as the tent of meeting that they could pick up, carry with them, which they did for over 40 years, that tabernacle had in its very center the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies with the mercy seat there. And God said, I'm going to meet you right there. And we will learn later about how once a year the high priest went in and he placed blood right there. That was the, that was the tabernacle. And Moses was given clear instructions on how to build it. And in Exodus 40:16, we're told that he did exactly what God said he was to do. And he built it precisely according to the plans that God revealed to him. And then we keep reading. We come to Numbers chapter 12. And in Numbers chapter 12, we come across this little incident. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman he had married. They decide, it begins to get under their skin, if you will. Say, you know, God doesn't only speak through Moses. Doesn't he speak through us also? Maybe just a little bit of pride beginning to seep in. Aaron in his role over the priesthood. Maybe just a little bit. 
So they got kind of disgusted with him over this issue of who he had married. And God calls him out. God says, meet with me at the tabernacle of meeting. Miriam, Aaron, and Moses. And then God speaks to them in verse 6. Then he, that is God, said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And God himself defends Moses and all the greatness of his role as a servant. By the way, when we're speaking about Moses being a servant here, that's not like a slave. That's a, that's a position of honor that he's called to serve God. And the, most, the best way that I can put it towards us is at, by the end of this week, we're going to have a transference of the number one civil servant in our country. And we're going to inaugurate a new president. That is an honor to be the servant in that role. That's what this term about Moses being a servant means. But particularly, the way God references him here, he says, I deal with Moses different than all the other prophets. And God specifically, personally, sets Moses aside to demonstrate the greatness of who he is. And then he says to Miriam and Aaron, why do you not fear in light of what I am doing and have done in and through Moses. What's with this arrogance and this pride that you you lift yourself up to be equal with him when I am the one who have lifted him up and put him where he is and I deal with him uniquely because I choose to do that. And it set Moses apart from all the other prophets. Also, as we see that, that Moses was faithful in all things, we get another reference in verse 5. Interesting statement. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house. That's a quote from Numbers twelve seven that we just read. Moses himself indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterwards. Now, the writer to the Hebrews is trying to demonstrate for us how great and significant Moses is. And he tells us that his work had a lasting influence. And we can understand that lasting influence. They're going to talk about the work of Moses forever. In what way? Ever hear of something called Passover? They still celebrate Passover. That was instituted through Moses. God told Moses specifically what to do as they were going to be set free from slavery to the Egyptians. Passover was initiated. And God told them, you're to celebrate this every year. And when your children ask, why do we do this? You were to tell them about how I delivered you out of, out of Egypt and out of slavery. Passover. The tabernacle, we've already mentioned it. It was a movable place of worship where they could carry out sacrifices that represented the person of Jesus Christ and what he would ultimately do. That tabernacle eventually was replaced 
Once they were in the land and settled in the land, for quite some time, Solomon had the privilege of building a temple, no longer movable, a solid building, but based upon the same pattern as the tabernacle. And then we have the law. Moses gave instructions as to how they were to live. He gave them the law. You sometimes will read in Scripture about the law and the prophets, referencing the law and the prophets, or Moses and the prophets. It's the same thing. The law was found in the books of Moses that he wrote. So his work and his influence continues until this day. It's a lasting influence. It's still going to be considered. He was hugely significant. So I say, you know, he maybe could be, it could be said he was as great as Washington, Lincoln, and King combined. And the, the writer to Hebrews is pointing that out with great clarity to us. But he's making a point also that's woven into these verses that we're considering today, that even though Moses was hugely significant and had a role that brought him great honor, Christ is to receive even greater honor. For this one has been counted worthy, I'm in verse 3, for this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Worthy of more glory, more honor, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. Now, there's a principle that he's laying out there. The one who builds the house, got to begin here, the one who builds the house has more honor than the house itself. Go with me for a minute just to kind of explain this. All right? We just got done with the Christmas holidays. Let's imagine the Christmas holidays. By the way, do they still do this? I know there have been some years when they did it. They have a parade of homes with Christmas decorations because I don't want to offend anybody. Are they still doing that on occasion? So imagine with me. Karen isn't thinking so. All right? So imagine with me that there's this parade of homes and, and they decided to really do it up big. So we're talking... This parade of homes is going to be throughout the entire northwest corner of Minnesota. So we are now talking Pennington County, Marshall County, Kitson County, and Roseau County. There's this parade of homes. And there's a lot of entries. And there's going to be a prize for the best home decorated at Christmas. And for some reason, to this day, she can't tell you why. Cheryl Eveland just was like... Dude, I gotta do this. And so she goes out and she just goes great guns with her townhouse. She decorates the inside, she decorates the outside, she's decorating the basement, she's spilling over into the neighbor's yards on top of the roof. Unbelievable. And within four counties, she wins. Hundreds of homes entered, she wins. There's a prize to be given. Now, who gets the prize? Do her decorations get the prize? She gets the prize. The honor goes to her as the one who did all of this. 
People don't stand outside of her home and say, Oh, great and wonderful townhouse, we give you this prize. They offer the prize to Cheryl because she's the one who did it. That's the principle at work here, friends. The builder of the house gets the honor more than the house itself. It says, Every house is built by someone, verse 4, but he who built all things is God. And now we begin to get a sense as to where he's going in this contrasting between Jesus and Moses. Every house is built by someone. Moses was involved in building, if you will, a house of God. He was told to build the tabernacle that I may dwell among them. And he did it perfectly. He did it faithfully according to the plans that were there. And Moses received honor for that. But Christ is worthy of more honor because the scope of his building is so much greater. Every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And here he is alluding back to chapter 1, verse 2 describing Jesus Christ, who has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Yes, Moses built this tabernacle, which is still spoken of today. But Jesus Christ created everything that we see, the absolute universe Around us. And not only is he greater in terms of what he built, in terms of his creation, but we saw, again, it was referenced here, we saw in chapter 2 that he is the captain of their salvation who is bringing many sons to glory. What he did is much greater in its scope in terms of redemption. Think about this. Moses, Moses built a tabernacle that pictured the coming of Christ who would die on our behalf. Christ is the one who died, which is greater, the picture or the reality. So Moses, or, or Christ is greater in his creation and in his redemptive roles. So he's worthy of more honor because of the scope of his building is so much greater. Moses was faithful. I'm not, you understand, we're not in any way does this text put Moses down. But his building, that which he did in creating the tabernacle, in creating this system, in giving the law, was but a singular part of the entire complex of what Christ is doing. It was a part, a significant part in history and in, in redemptive history, a significant part here, and it is still spoken of in days and times past to follow, very significant, but it's a part of this much bigger thing that Jesus Christ is doing. This entire Redemptive work. Number two, 
Christ is worthy of more honor because of his role in the building process. We've already pointed out, Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant, and that is a title of honor that he was called, that he was elevated by God. So much so that when Aaron and Miriam tried to challenge him, God said, hey, he's my servant. I have elevated him, and no, you are not the same. You are not of the same stature and greatness because I have raised him to this point to serve me in this way. But he is still a servant. But Christ, verse 6, as a son, the servant will never match to that greater level of Christ being the son, the second person of the Trinity. See, Moses is a resident in this house, this thing that God is doing, that Christ is doing, that he's building. He's a resident there, and he's faithful in the things that he does. But Christ is the owner. Third, Christ is worthy of more honor because his efforts continue. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, are the idea there is that Christ is still building his house he is ongoing and active in this redemptive work so that when this was written within the first century it was true and when we read it it is still true in this day that Christ is still actively involved in redeeming people Unto himself. Now Moses' influence continues. The things which Moses did are still talked about. But Moses isn't actively engaged in this anymore. We look back on what Moses did and said, that was incredible. This man is to be honored. But we look presently at what Christ is doing and saying this is way more incredible. And Jesus alone receives the honor for this much bigger thing that he is doing, of which Moses' thing was only a part. You see, friends, Moses was faithful in God's house. This whole big thing that Jesus is doing of this redemptive work, Moses was faithful in it, in a part. Jesus is faithful over it. And that it all comes under his purview. And the writer to the Hebrews wants us to grasp the significance of this as it relates to us. But Christ is a son over his own house, verse 6, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. That house, the redemptive work that Christ is doing is us. He as the Son of God, who took on flesh in total identification with us, all of our Christmas messages, is actively engaged in an ongoing redemptive work on our behalf. And the writer to the Hebrews says, think carefully about this. Understand the significance of who he is and the glory that is due him and what he is accomplishing presently. Who else? Who else is sufficient to pull off this redemption? 
You know anybody? I don't. I don't look to any political leaders for this redemption. Don't look to any of the powerful people in business to pull off this redemption. I don't look to the scientific community to pull off this redemption. I don't know where else to look other than to the person of this one as we consider him sufficient alone. And what we will see as we continue to move through this book, the writer to the Hebrews is concerned. He's concerned that that the people with the pressures under which they are coming, they live in uncertain times, and he's concerned that that they're not going to understand these truths by which they can hang on and never quit in their service for Jesus Christ, never quit in their walk with the Lord. And so he's encouraging them to don't lose hope. Jesus Christ is presently at work on our behalf. He's fashioning our place in this great redemptive work, and he is sufficient to bring it to its full end. So don't give up, friends. There's going to be some times in the course of this next year where you're going to ask the question, you're going to be tempted with the question, the fiery dart of the evil one is going to come and say, why am I bothering to sacrifice in order to remain living as a Christian? Why am I bothering to put up with these tensions? Why am I living in obedience to these things? You're going to hear that. The evil one is going to tell you that. The evil one is going to tell you to look around the people in, the, in that newfold and evangelical free church. Look around and see how they don't even begin to live up to all these things they say they believe. Look at how they failed. Why am I bothering even to identify with them? It's going to come. I guarantee it. And we are going to fail. And we are not worthy of all that much glory But why do I bother? I bother because Jesus Christ continues to this day to do a redemptive work in our lives. And we are going to find, when we stay true to this calling, we're going to to come to that day and we say, it's the only thing that mattered. And I'm glad that I never walked away from it. Father, we need your strength every day. We need the reality of who Jesus Christ is to so fill our hearts, to understand how magnificent his work is, to understand the glory that is due him, to so fill us, Father, that the idea of abandoning this, the idea of giving up on it because we've been hurt by other people or we don't understand certain things because sometimes it just feels too hard. Oh, Lord, so impress upon us the wonders of Jesus Christ, the sufficiency of what he is doing, that we realize there's nowhere else to go. He alone is our anchor, Father. May we recommit each day to knowing you, walking with you, and walking in this great redemption that is ours in your Son. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.